Section 7 of From the Easy Chair, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Matthew Squire, who you can find on twitter.com slash m-a-t-t-a-g-h-e-t-t-i, at Mattigetti on Twitter. From the Easy Chair, Volume 1, by George William Curtis, Section 7, Phyllis. There is one lady in literature and in life whom all men are said, not without gentle sarcasm if a woman says it, to wish especially to know. She is declared to be the vision that haunts the youth as his heart opens to the soft influences of love, and her figure, trim and debonair, that allures the older fancy of the man who sits alone and merry at forty year, having seen his earlier Gillian and Marian, and a score more happily married. She is, in fact, the domestic magician, the good fairy, the genius of home, the thoughtful, tactful, careful, intelligent housekeeper, the very she whom Milton sings, introducing us to. Herbs and other country messes, which the neat-handed Phyllis dresses. Her name is Phyllis, not exactly a romantic name, nor, indeed, is it meant by the poet to be a romantic name, for he has just before sketched another kind of woman. Towers and battlements it sees, bosomed high in tufted trees, where perhaps some beauty lies, the cynosure of neighboring eyes. Such a cynosure could not possibly have been named Phyllis. Artemis, perhaps, or Hildegard. Constance, Una, Mildred, or Cunegonda. But by no possibility Phyllis. That is a pastoral name, a shepherd's sweetheart. Indeed, the two kinds of women are perfectly indicated and distinguished in these lines of El Allegro, which have no detail of description. The impression of womanly difference is nowhere more completely given. One picture is that of the lofty, haughty, high-born Helen, the superb Lady Clara Vere di Vere. The other is that of the thrifty Bossus, the gardener Adam's wife and the two are as near in the young man's heart as they are in the poem. When Mr. William Guppy raised his eyes from the pit of the theater to Miss Esther Summerson sitting in the boxes, the image imprinted on his art was that of the cynosure of neighboring eyes, stately among stately towers and ancestral trees, but doubtless when Mr. William Guppy, as lovers will, abandoned himself to blissful dreams of the possible home that should grow out of his lofty passion. It was another vision that he saw. It was the high-born Helen coming down to breakfast in a sweet morning cap, a neat-handed Phyllis, for love which soars and sings and builds its nest. The one instinct is as deep and sure as the other. The cynosure of worshipping hearts and eyes is but the romantic aspects of Phyllis, and because she is so lofty and so lovely... Will she be the miracle worker in the household? The secret sorrow of a thousand homes is that the lady of the towers and battlements does not prove in fact to be also the neat-handed Phyllis. Indeed, it is a kind of national complaint and lamentation that the neat-handed Phyllis is disappearing altogether. This is the significance of the servant girl question. This is the root of the alarming conviction that Phyllis is changing into Biddy, whose fit epithet is not neat-handed. This is the meaning of the cry for bread, light, sweet, well-baked bread, not the clammy dough which is served to a despairing land. This is the reason of the wondering question, 
what has become of roast meat, and of the melancholy conviction that henceforth baked beef is to replace the juicy sirloin of tradition, history, and elegant literature. Of the accomplished and intelligent young women who honor the easy chair at this moment with their attention, of course the immense majority can boil a steak to a turn, or mix the airiest bread, or boil potatoes as new-fallen snow. But there are some unfortunates who cannot do it. Let us pity them. They would probably tell us they have not studied poetry and music, the French language, crochet, and the Boston to become kitchen drudges. And they will not fail to remind us that Cinderella did not charm the prince as a kitchen maid, and that she had ceased to be Cinderbreach and had emerged from the chimney corner when she married him. But will they please to curb their wrath for a moment and listen to Dr. Clark? Unless men and women both have brains, the nation will go down. As much brain is needed to govern a household as to command a ship. As much to guide a family aright as to guide a congress aright. As much to do the least and the greatest of woman's work as to do the least and the greatest of man's work. Now the dressing of messes by the neat-handed Phyllis is one of the important elements of governing a household. And the Princess Cinderella was the better housewife because she had once been Cinderbreach. Nelson was the better admiral because he had once been cabin boy. Dickens was the better storyteller because he had once been reporter. If indeed Darby can afford to pay a hundred dollars monthly to a chef, Joan need know nothing of messes. But how many such Darbys are there? These remarks, or similar ones, have been often heard by the gentler reader and are somewhat familiar to her. Not to say wearisome, oh yes, she says, I know all this. Men want women in the family to be angels and French cooks rolled into one. Heaven save the mark. Suppose that women, on their side, were to expect men in the family to be heroes and gentlemen, as well as good providers. Well, madam, they ought to expect it and to insist upon it. Perhaps you have played the little game of parlor magic. There are homes in which that game is always played, and they are the happiest of all. In them, the real value of neatness and order, of thrift and taste and temperance, is understood. And the beauty who once lay lapped in lofty towers knows that the romance which enshrined her amid those battlements and tufted trees is preserved and forever refreshed by the art of the neat-handed Phyllis. And, madame, upon his side, he does not reverse the order of the story and of nature and sink from the prince into the beast. End of section 7. Recorded by Matthew Squire. You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash M-A-T-T-A-G-H-E-T-T-I.